The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I'm just going to get another beer. Cool. Yeah, that works. Just give me, yeah, let's just... I'm on good check beer, none of that American shit that you guys drink. So, uh, no, it's, yeah. do you guys normally start drinking at three o'clock in the afternoon then? Or is it, I guess it's a Saturday. So it's yeah, I'm going to get into it too. These are the tales of golf past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending historic rounds on and off course moments memories of personal catastrophe and elation and yes alcohol i'm jer i'm proy i'm joe and i'm Megs. we do the work you tell the story these are the Lynx stories my name's harvey waywell and uh, I'm going to tell you about uh, Luke Donald and all his adventures in his uh, Ryder Cups uh, all the way through from 2004 through to 2012 and beyond. It would help our listeners if you kind of gave a kind of a brief backstory of, of why you chose this topic and, um, you know, kind of your ties to Luke Donald. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously uh, like when I spoke to you guys at the outset and uh, you were kind enough to invite me. Um, I, I put it out there that I was very biased. So uh, I was, uh, I went to college uh, around about the turn of the nineties with uh, Luke's older brother, Christian. And obviously Christian was heavily involved uh, with Luke later on when he became his first caddy and he's still a successful caddy. Now uh, he, after he's split from Luke mainly just for family reasons. So they ended up, not ending up killing each other as brothers. You know, he's gone on to caddy for Paul Casey, Martin Keimer, and I think he, he's now with Brendan Steele. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just I just met Luke through Christian, uh, realised that he was a very, very good golfer, even from uh, when I first met him when he was 13 and, a, you know, and a tiny, you know, young uh, teenager. And, um, yeah, and it's gone from there. We both, you know, we live fairly close to each other since then, and we just remain friends. I've remained friends with them both 
uh, ever since and, and been lucky enough to go to, you know, lots of his events, uh, both, you know, uh, match play uh, when he was an amateur and as a pro and Ryder Cups and, and Opens and Majors and everything. And I've um, been very fortunate, you know, to do that and uh, and at the same time cheer him on. And uh, it was certainly a great to see him, you know, come all the way from uh, being a, a little old amateur at Beaconsfield Golf Club near to where I live, you know, to, to reaching number one in the world. Yeah, it's just you you could tell that immediately because I like I said, I played in a couple of amateur events and not not sorry, not amateur, like junior events. And um, you know, I was like a six, seven handicap, not too bad, but I was never gonna be great. Uh Christian was a little bit better, but Luke just his just dedication to practice and even though he was very small and stuff, he just he, you know, he had no doubt that that was his, you know, he got played for England. He went to the Walker Cup. I went to, uh, we went up to Nairn in 99 when he won. He partnered with Casey. They wiped the floor with America, uh, with America GBNI. They won. And you could, but that was the first time I went up there. And that was where there's no ropes, no nothing. And everybody's just like, oh, you know, you can hear people in the Scottish gallery. They're obviously well informed. Uh, and other people around the team, I was allowed in the club, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they're all just like, Luke's the best player. He's our best player. He's our marquee guy. He plays every game. And it was the same the following two years when I went over to, where was that? Uh, where's the RSM? Ocean Forest? Ocean something? Sea Island mm. for the the other Walker Cup. And, um, yeah, even then he was the And you could just tell that he was just elevated above. And you watched other people of that kind of amateur status and you just, and it wasn't that he hit it the furthest, but he was just so accurate and it was just, and obviously the short game that he's was outrageous. So, yeah, I mean, it was brilliant. For sure. Perfect. Perfect. I kind of want to hear just a brief background story. You played with Luke when he was 13 years old. What did yeah. you shoot that day? Do you remember? Um, I, I really have no idea. The first games I remember was where, so it was basically myself. I was about a seven, eight handicap with Luke. who was then probably two, three handicap at best around about then uh, playing against Christian that eventually he'd turned, uh, he'd gone to, to be a club pro and uh, Luke's good friend, Steve, who, um, Still works in golf as a teaching professional at uh, indoor golfing places in London, Steve Smith. And Steve, um, you know, he was very good golf, very similar to Luke, fairly a little bit short. I'm sure he won't mind me saying that, but an unreal um, short game. And we just had these great games of amateur versus pro at all these courses. I mean, the, one st I wasn't at this story but i've heard it obviously from christian and of course you know the man himself but um hazelmere golf club is kind of built in a valley where we live they were all putting and chipping around the you know the putting green like a lot of juniors did back then and um it was luke and steve playing against i don't know a couple of older members and they they you know having a normal putting event and it was um you know just match play but there was one rule that they introduced where at any point during kind of like the nine hole putting contest, each opponent, uh, each team was allowed to chuck one of somebody else's ball. So I literally pick it up and throw it wherever they would want. <laughs> and um, 
uh, within reason, not like hundreds of yards, but whatever. And um, and eventually it came towards the end. It was all getting quite close. And they picked up Luke's ball after he parted it from like, uh, after he'd hold a part actually. So they took it out of the hole and said no. And they threw it <laughs> off the green, like down a slope into a thing. And he just went straight down there with the putter and kind of stabbed it up. It went kind of rolling on up a hill and straight back into the hole. And <laughs> no way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, was, and I'm sure with years it's got better and better. But he he literally held it off the green. And, and you know, there was probably a, there was a few people watching around there. And they lost their, you know, they won a few, you know, a few quid off the of these two older members and that was always and i always remember the christian told me that story rather than you know because luke didn't really care he was just doing it for a laugh and uh that was always a that was always a really good thing but um but That's yeah he insane. just be, he just became as he got you know we played um a couple of times but he was always at the course you know hours earlier he was lucky enough and obviously then he went off to northwestern in chicago where he made his home after and you know i didn't i barely saw him for only when he was at the Walker Cup and stuff, but he he just grew into a you know a fine individual and a, and, a, and a and a very good golfer. But you could always see that there was that. Not only did he have that you know natural talent, I think people need, but there was always that competitive spirit, and I think he always needed that, and that really helped him uh, later down the line, uh, you know, in, in the Ryder Cup. Funny enough, I remember when when I was at college with Christian, we went to. Um, you went kind of at the end of the course, you have to do this uh, project. And we all went to Spain. So me, Christian, the other four lads and 42 girls went to the south of Spain for a week. Now, as you can imagine, that was quite a good week. You know, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> but when we came, but so the six lads, all we all got our pocket money together and we bought, we rented a video camera for the week. And I've still got the video somewhere on like old tapes or whatever. But the, the story was that Christian was due to return it the day after he got back from holiday. And he's, and he was, and he, and I, this film must be somewhere. And he was filming Luke on the practice ground at Hazelmere. And he was doing this ridiculous, like, you know, keepy ups with the, the club and stuff. And even then, and he was literally like, and he was, he was probably like 14 years old, but he looked younger because he was so, you know, a little bit smaller. And, and it was just fantastic. And it was just him enjoying golf. And it was good. And that was, you know, always good. And I, I saw it within probably the last 10 years, but I haven't seen it for a, for a long time. But, um, yeah, those were the days. And they were, they, were, they were certainly good fun days. But you could, even then, you could still see that, you know, what sets him apart, just his worth, worth, work ethic, easy for me to say. Uh, but, yeah, you, you could see it from that point uh, as we went on. His rookie season was quite fairly interrupted, uh, purely because he had a bit of quite an unusual start. He never went to Q school, but when he he turned pro immediately after the 2001 Walker Cup, um, which again I was lucky enough to go to. Me and my other half went there. I've never been anywhere so hot and ever. But um, he turned pro on the Monday after. I think he played uh, Reno as his first event. But obviously that was August 2001 and we all know what happened the following month. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he got, he got very, you know, and I remember texting or email or whatever. And he was just like, Oh yeah, it's all a bit crazy over in the States. And it was all, and it was all very, he was a very discombobulated and a bit, you know, like 
how things were going to turn out. And um, that kind of all, you know, faded in to 2002. And then after it all calmed down, uh, again, me working in travel, I don't know, you know, obviously that's my, my background. A lot of the airlines, especially the US ones, were inviting people to travel. And I was just like, yeah. So I, I ended up going to the, in his rookie season, I went to the Honda Classic and uh, Heron Bay, 2002, Matt Kuchel won it. And um, we went over there and uh, it was amazing to see, even then, because I, I go in there and it's just, it's just my friend Christian caddying for his brother. And I took it as nothing else. But then you're walking around and you're seeing all these other great players and you're just like, this is unreal. And then and then Luke goes out and then he just and then he just suddenly the mindset just go, he kind of you can't see him changing it, but he just kind of gets into this kind of focus, but never lets kind of like outside influences test him. Christian always told me one great thing about him. Uh, Christian carried for uh, Tom Lewis who's now playing over on the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry. And where he said, and he goes, Tom, it's a ball further than, you know, he was going, he does this better than Luke, he does this better than Luke. But he makes one mistake, say, with six holes to go, and it affects the six holes after every single shot. It's like, oh, no, I need to get this back. I need to, and then it just compounds. Mm-hmm. Luke could hit one shot bad, and then it's instantly over. And, uh, and he had that straight from the outset where he would just forget about it. 20 seconds later and he would just be you know like he'd even forgotten about it so we went to the honda classic i think he finished 20th i don't know i can't even remember but i even saw then he just looked like he was um there to stay i mean he he didn't get like i said he didn't go to q school and stuff the one of the funny stories of that week was that i ended up rooming I, I christian didn't know so many caddies that day and i ended up sharing a room with christian um we went down uh we went down to the course it was right near the hotel and there was no sign of luke and we rang him up and he was still in bed he missed his alarm so um that could have been a very expensive trip all the way from london but we woke him up and he came down and uh, you know had a really good week and then you know later in the year he got he um won the like i was i love the names of u.s tour events i, I mean i'd love to i need to poll uh you, Pat and Mike, to see what your favourite one was. But yeah, he won the Southern Farm Bureau John Deere Tractor Mississippi Invitational or whatever it was. <laughs> and, um, but that was a three-rounder. So he didn't even have the pressure. So he was leader after three rounds. The last round got washed out when he won. So then he gets the the exemption and then kind of he went from, he went from strength to strength after that. His 03 was, you know, kind of so-so, not great. 04, he had a couple of European wins and obviously, um, you know, made it onto the Ryder Cup team. I'm just going to go and get another beer. Cool. Yeah, that works. Just give me, yeah, I'm on good Czech beer. None of that American shit that you guys drink. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's, yeah. yeah, okay. All right, give me a minute. All right. Well, while Harvey is off for another drink, uh, it's time for all of us to grab a refill from the Quack Cooler. Quack Golf is the official sponsor of the Link Stories podcast and all the Stories podcasts. Our crew found Quack. Um, we saw their logo on Twitter. Thought it was awesome. Um, a lot of us here, you know, are golf kind of nuts. So uh, decided to check them out. We found their gear. Uh, it's it's beautiful stuff. These lads are from Dublin. They've set out to try to make golf apparel affordable to buy, enjoyable to wear. Uh, so it's made by golfers for golfers. 
Uh, it's not your baggy stuff from the pro shot. It's cut really well. Um, I do have to add that the polos are a little bit tight around the arm, so they make you look pretty jacked. Um, it's obviously a great for the course, but it's pretty versatile as well. They've got everything, quarter zips, polos, vests, shorts, hats, belts, uh, whatever you want. They've got a new uh, gear drop coming that we're all pretty excited about. So check out everything at quackgolf.com. That's quack spelled K-W-A-C-K. Use our promo code STORIES15 for 15% off your order. That's STORIES, S-T-O-R-I-E-S, 15 at quackgolf.com. Do you guys normally start drinking at three o'clock in the afternoon then? Or is it, I guess it's a Saturday. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get into it too. What's important to remember about the 2004 Ryder Cup uh, was that Luke, even though he was a rookie, was picked as a wild card. So, you know, he didn't make the auto qualification. And so, but I think that was because Langer saw a lot of similarities in, in Luke's play than when he, in his play. Uh, he loved it that he was a great match player. He always kept in in holes, and uh, I think Langer was a big fan. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was great that Luke, uh, Luke actually um, got a. Uh, it was after when he came back to the UK, he got a really nice letter from Seve uh, that he still has framed in his house, um, where he said it was really difficult for you know. So it's really difficult. Not only is it difficult for a rookie to play. But a rookie that's picked as a wild card because you feel like you have to try even harder to justify his selection, and he got this fantastic little letter, and he and that was always. And I remember him, him emailing it out to like everybody he knew. Oh yeah, that's you know nobody knew who it was because it was like unintelligible signature. And he goes, yeah, that's Savvy Ballesteros that we'd all grown up watching in in the eighties, and uh, yeah, and, and and I and then I mean you you guys tell me, but I think how did how did the how did the 04 Ryder Cup seem to you? Hopefully you're all uh, old enough to remember. Well, yeah, it was like Tiger, Phil, we, I mean, the the two powerhouses. It must have been pretty intimidating for Team Europe to go in there. This was kind of from more a little more hindsight, but kind of like a Stars and Scrubs lineup to a degree. Um, I mean, it was, I mean, you had... You had Phil and Tiger, of course, and then you had like other major champions like Davis Love and Jim Furyk, like good kind of mainstays. But then like, you know, it was David Toms and Chad Campbell and Fred Funk. And it's like, yeah, you know, like, do I feel yeah. that really confident that they're going to, you know, yeah. do I, do I need them on Sunday in singles? Like, was it, <laughs> I don't was, know. Was um, that year they picked... Uh, how son picked Jay Hass as like a 52 year old, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was his 50 at the time, yeah. Was, was he 50? I can't yeah. remember, yeah. They, I know they picked him, but I can't remember. He was very old, but, um, yeah. I just, you know, I think when I saw the team, I was thinking that you know, if they're picking Jay Haas as a pick, then I, I think you say it perfect. What did you say? Stars. Is, I love that. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the front. And then you have all the shit behind it. And I uh, hope nobody notices. So, uh, yeah, how son. I mean, that the two, the two mistakes that he made were obviously the big one that everybody knows. The whole, if you've got two good players, why surely you want to spread them out, right? But instead he then plays them together. And he, and he then wears that ridiculous Texan two gallon hat or whatever you guys call it <laughs> and you're like oh boy yeah i mean that was yeah 
Yeah, and you put that you put that Nicholson and Woods pairing together to start, and you're like, we're gonna st- we're gonna like take this Stars and Scrub team and really make it Stars and Scrubs, and just put those yeah. two guys together, isolate them, and then have them lose. Like, yeah, well, <laughs> Plan A didn't work, and we have nothing after that. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it's just like you have a twelve man team. You put you and you you literally on the first morning put all of that team in one basket. <laughs> on on that partnership, they lose. You know what do you do? And it was yeah. just like because um, in the end, it, in the end, on the second day when he eventually, you know, this is almost if he was a football manager, he'd probably been sacked overnight. But he became because um, he put him with uh, Chris Riley, didn't he? On the on the on the Saturday, and I think Woods and Riley won fairly yep. easily. But because Woods and Riley. Did they know, know each other from college? There was some kind of link up there. Sounds right. <laughs> yeah. From the start of that plan not working, like this wasn't a close cup at all. I mean, it wasn't close after day one. It was further not close after day two and just kind of <laughs> held there. And it were basically doubling ups uh, the entire time. But this, you know, bringing this back to Luke Donald, this is kind of the start not only of Luke and the Ryder Cups, but on that first day in the afternoon, Luke and Sergio get paired up. And that that's the, the birth of a very formidable pairing for a number of years to come. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, funnily enough, in the, in the morning, I was, I was, you know, it was great to see that Luke was picked to play in the morning. I didn't think he would be. And I didn't realize until I started... Um, Looking at some a couple of stats yesterday, that that uh, the the match that he had that Friday morning with Paul McGinley was his only half match that he's ever had in the Ryder Cup. Uh, it was his first match, and uh, I think there's a great uh, the only shot I can remember seeing was I think Luke hit some ridiculous like a three iron into the eighteen, and in the end I think uh, Chris the aforementioned Chris Riley had a whole. Um, a par putt for the half and stuff. But before we get on to his relationship with Sergio, there was a not that, you know, obviously I, I, I had no, I wasn't there that week. I, I, I didn't really um, contact anybody really, but, um, but later on, you know, um, I, I read in the, in the English press that, you know, uh, Luke had said that that first tee on the Friday morning, was the most nervous he ever was on a golf course ever. And he said he hit the work, you know, he hit a tee shot that I would have been proud. He said it went, it didn't go right. It went like right of right. I think, you know, he said it it nearly went on 18 fairway. It was that far. Um, Mm -hmm. But then after that, he, you know, he, he turned back into, you know, the indomitable kind of match player he was, but, um, but yeah, that, the Sergio one's a funny one. It, I never kind of realised, and I've never kind of asked why they kind of came about. Um, but again, I think it's kind of like that kind of sunny disposition that Sergio's always had, especially at the Ryder Cups. And he'd obviously had the, you know, the the breakout when he was at Brookline and stuff. But uh, I think they just, their games match very good in terms of off the tee. They were pretty similar short games unreal and um yeah i mean i don't think again i've you know i've uh, i can't quite remember the actual numbers but 
yeah, he's he won six foursome games, and I think most of those were with Sergio. I think at least four or five of them were. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know why Langer put those two together, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. But they, they beca- they've become very fr- – Sergio went to Luke, Luke's wedding, um, and they've become – you know, they've – I think Luke stays at his place when he plays in, in Switzerland and stuff, and they've become, you know, firm friends ever since. But I think they're more similar than maybe people uh, would initially give them credit. Sergio's kind of that fiery, um, somewhat emotional player, and, you know, Luke mm-hmm. is a bit more steady and uh, maybe the rock that kind of keeps keeps Sergio at bay a little bit more. Maybe, you know, Sergio even kind of, provide some of that fire to to Luke in these as well. So, you know, it seems like whatever it was, it obviously worked. Yeah, I think, I mean, I remember I was looking at, um, you know, a couple of stories, uh, you know, this week about kind of their relationship, a kind of older stories. And I think it was just, and I think it's what Europe, uh, maybe up until, you know, the last Ryder Cup uh, last year in Wisconsin, where I think what Europe did really well was, pairing up friends and personalities rather than maybe games you know people that just got along and you know there was kind of more that instant friendship and maybe that came you know there's this old story that goes around where you know on the u.s tour people just you know turn up eat at home go to the gym you know while europe was very much kind of like a more of a smaller family based and maybe originate from that i don't know but um I think they always did. Or they always did that pretty well, where the guys just need, need, knew each other on a personal level as well as a as well as a, a golf game level, and that always seemed to reap dividends, especially you know on that amazing Ryder Cup run they they went on. I don't have a ton of other thoughts on this 2004 Ryder Cup because again, it was just such a blowout. And I think the interesting thing transitioning, you know the end of this cup and the start of the next one Luke's more of a household name um in, in the yeah. next one of course he was a household name there he was you know 30 something in the world that first one and um but obviously performed well in this and and had some wins building up to being top 10 in the world uh headed into this next one and you know a lock for that that team and a lock in kind of the somewhere high up in the order of merit entering this next round yeah I mean, absolutely. I mean, you, you just look at, um, uh, I think in the, in the 04 Ryder Cup, he was ranked, world ranked in, in the 30s. And then he comes into 2006 as an auto qualifier, um, world ranked nine, third qualifier. So he was always, yeah, I, I think you, you get it spot on there, Jeremy, where he'd, you know, he'd, he'd won, um, his first full field 72 hole event earlier in the year at the Honda. Um, and I think that was big for Luke to get kind of like that, that first kind of full field, full 72 holes event that he could get that under his belt to show that he could, you know, not only could he compete on the PGA tour in America, but he could win on it as well. And I, I think that was always, that was always a big thing, you know, for him and probably any overseas player when they, first play in America but yeah you're spot on but again I mean uh you know I've literally got three lines of notes but I put worst team ever worst US team ever question mark <laughs> yeah we we certainly didn't fix much uh it didn't no, learn what happened? Much oh, from, 
I mean, yeah. Right. You get, you get uh, smacked was... in, in Detroit in 04, like hammered. And then you've got two years to make maybe even a bit of a fight of it. And you turn up with those boys. That uh, was fool me once. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that. And then yeah. not change anything else. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I mean, it's like, well, well, obviously Tiger and Phil are going to be there. Furyk's up to to three now, and then, I mean, again, it's it's similar names that now have a little bit more experience. But and then at the end, it's just <laughs> who are these guys? Just to me, they just seem to be treating everything like a a separate entity and just not learning from it. And it's just like, so Tom Lehman was the captain, right? Mm-hmm. That was right. And it was just like, but you just, I don't think they changed the, uh, I checked, they didn't change the qualification system. They didn't seem to be doing anything different. And it's just like, oh, let's just start again and send. It's the, like, send well, the maybe that is what needs needed to be changed. Because, you know, these Vaughn Taylor, JJ Henry, Zach Johnson, who obviously went on to, you know, I mean, he had some success there. And Brett anyway. Wetterick. <laughs> yeah, Brett <laughs> Wetterick. <laughs> I remember about Brett Wetterick. I think because, again, US tended to do this long, kind of elongated qualification system. And I think he won, I don't know, but I think he won like a year before the Ryder Cup. And then he just fell off a planet <laughs> because he just had one good week. But somehow your qualification system still met that he was still in the top ten, and yeah, he was ranked yeah, I mean, sixty-eight in the world. Yeah, he's just. Uh... I think what miffs me more because, like you know, that's a that's maybe a a qualification issue um, on our side. But like to captain's pick Scott Verplank, forty-two-year-old Scott Verplank, who's. After Jay Haas the two years before. Why? Why? I mean, why? I guess because he's, he's, I don't know, maybe thinks he's good at match play. I don't know. I, I, I don't have a good explanation for why this uh, non-star-studded team was chosen. <laughs> I don't know. It was just, I don't know, it's, Obviously, I've got European glasses on and everything, but I just, although maybe, are we are we making the thing now where we look back on these teams of 15, 20 years ago, compare and, and we're looking back at what the team is now? I mean, it's it's possible in Europe. You know, there's a Paul McGinley who's 53rd in the world um, and Robert Carlson who's 36th in the world, but like, they're also auto qualifiers because they've been playing really well. And you know, I think the captain's picks are grizzled vets in this format, you know, with, with Darren Clark and a Lee Westwood who have had four Ryder Cups apiece. Like, our captain's picks are just grizzled. Because, yeah. yeah. I think that the whole grizzled veteran is now gone. That's surely history, right? Um, yeah. We now look back and just go, Jay Haas, Scott Verplank, and the Europe are guilty as well. Yeah. So, just think now, I don't think Europe, Europe will make the same mistake into uh, next year, or and the US will maybe carry on. Yeah, and, and I think the 
the talent pool amongst the younger players right now is just insane too. Like it's out of control. How many players there are that are younger and just hot? Like, <laughs> and like I think the early two thousands, just it was like very, like boys club political. Like let's just pick the older yeah. players, and it was just such a. There wasn't a lot of parody. It was just the same people over and over. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that I think it's definitely changing. I think this whole experience thing's just out of the window. So. Yeah. yeah, I think we can. I think we can take up grizzled and veterans, and then just plop them in my waste bin down here. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be, let's just not mention those two words again. And let's, uh, yeah, love to be in the heads of some of the the captains because they, they almost feel like to a degree they have to overthink it, or at least they choose yeah. to. Where it's like I can't just pick. You know, players. 13th and 14th or 11th and 12th guys in the, the you know, the point system because then it's like, oh, I'm not even really like trying at my job. I'm just taking who's next. But it's like, what if the answer is that simple? Yeah. Occam's razor, right? Okay. Yeah. And you don't have to maybe go 11 and 12, but maybe it's like you do kind of a hard cut at like, I'm not picking anybody over like 16th in these standings or something like okay, I want to go with the guy that's that's won a couple times in the last three months and just missed it versus the guy that's been there all year and has played horribly the last four months. Like, okay, I get that. But I'm not going to just, like, pull out of my back pocket this guy that we're looking back on. Like, why? What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've sufficiently uh, ripped apart the United States here. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about about Luke in the 06 cup, because this is yeah. his best performance. He goes undefeated and he, you know, goes three and oh, wins his singles match, wins both foursome matches. You know, it's almost like should have played him more, um, but not well, that you needed it at all. Well, it's funny that you should say that because what I remember and, and again, not that I would ever, you know, I'd never would get hold of, um, you know, Luke or anybody, you know, close to the thing. If I if I'm not there, on you know during the tournament week, what I found out was he was Luke was very put out. But Alaphabal was playing with Sergio in the four balls, and it was and Wisnum the captain. And I'll come on to a couple of other things that I've written down that I've you know I've heard, but. Wisdom just was thinking again. Oh, Spain and Spain, we must play them together, and they did. And I think they, they, I think they halved and won, or maybe won both of their matches. I looked it up, but for Luke to be world ranked nine and play three games, I, yeah, I'd, I'd be a slightly put out. Maybe wrestling for one, but um, I think Wisdom was very. Uh, I would have him down as a very nostalgic captain, you know, doing it. He was very much heart rather than head uh, as a captain. And uh, some of those kind of things I heard was where, you know, he wanted to lean in to the whole Darren Clark thing, being in Ireland and uh, the tragedy that he'd had and the, the adversity that he'd overcome. Again, the whole Alathabal and Garcia partnership, Montgomery, and he was just... And he was very kind of, you know, just letting his heart rule his head. And um, but I, I, and again, this is completely, you know, um, 
just stuff that I heard, and certainly not from you know any any of the players. But so it's definitely fact. Well, I don't know. Maybe yeah. If it's a journal, yeah, I can't quite remember. I kind of probably heard it third or fourth party, but I I believe it to be true because when you look back on it. But uh, I was told that um, Woosnam was just a bag of nerves the whole week. He was he was he was all a little bit beyond him. He was he was a very good player outright and a very good Ryder Cup player. But the whole captain thing, it was kind of like the whole you know Jolly Boys system where they were all. You know, Langer had got the job, Montgomery eventually got the job, and it was all kind of just, they were taking it in turns, they were being relatively successful. Um, but I have it on good account that the whole Ryder Cup captain experience for Ian Woosnam just went, majority of it went over his head. And um, I don't know whether you know him, but um, one of Woosnam's best mates on tour that played in the 93 World uh, Ryder Cup when you guys we're not even probably around. Um, was a guy called Peter Baker. Barely. I don't know whether. Yeah, yeah, Peter. So Peter Baker played on the '93 Ryder Cup, and actually, uh, I think he beat Chip Beck and Azinger, which is no mean feat at that time of year, at uh, that time in the career. But but Peter Baker was apparently, as words that, I, that I've been told, was de facto captain that week. He made all the. He made most of the big decisions, and. Kind of looking back on that, when I've seen interviews with Woosnam in the past, in the last, since then, you know, as he's got older and older, I can kind of lean into that. And I think there's some kind of truth to that story. And he just yeah, got I lucky. Mean, it... The US team sucked. Yeah. And they go, how are we going to hammer him? <laughs> so, <laughs> nobody looked at him because they won and he's there drinking Guinnesses on the balcony and everything's hunky-dory. Sure. But it wouldn't have been that if, you know, because if, if you get beat as a European captain, there's going to be... There's going to be an adjudication on it. Like sticking two countrymen together is like the best move. Like it seems kind of like stereotypical to yeah. do that. Like I get like if they would want that or requested that, then like sure. But I don't know. That seems like too far into like the like not doing your job. Like like okay, well that that requires literally no thought. Looking at the flag on their bag and, and yeah, going from there. It's looked like I mean Woosnam was uh, I think he liked the old cigarette and I think he. Because the US team was so bad, I think he literally just made up the pairings on a packet the night before. I mean, that's that's how I look at it. I mean, here's a here's a the, the, and I and I, I don't know why I bother writing it down because I remember it because I mean I was I wasn't upset. I was I was just annoyed. I was just like Luke's better than half this team, at least half this team, if not more. And he's and he's on the bench. So uh, and again, going back to this whole national thing. Paddy Harrington in the 2006 Ryder Cup. How many matches did he play? Five. How many points? Yeah. How many points did he win? Mm, not a yeah. lot, probably. <laughs> Half a point. I don't know. Damn. Um, Half a point. And again, I don't know where it was. It was at the K Club, and it was at. Oh, he's in Ireland. He's on his home turf. He'll be egged on half a and he and the, I looked at the partnerships. Woosnam's playing him with all. He he gave him like two or three different partners. He got absolutely. I mean, fair enough. Stuart Singh shot about seven eight under, but he got absolutely pumped in the singles. Not that it really mattered. And again, it's just another one of those things where he played all five games and won half a point. Uh, Having said that, the only thing that I'll say, and again, I'll, 
you know, I'm always trying to play, you know, look at the bigger picture here. Maybe Luke was 3-0 because he played three matches. He was, you know, and he didn't play the five and he wasn't flogged to death. So I, 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 you know, I don't know. But uh, This isn't probably a conversation that happens a ton outside of Luke's supporters that felt slighted or some of that kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that, that you were talking about because this is just, it's another bludgeoning. I mean, at least it's close through a day. Like, U.S. made it a day. Um, until, you know, it started to, to peel away and Saturday was not, not great for us. Um, it was just never close. It was just gross. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the last thing I'll say about, you know, when, when somebody, it was the following year when somebody told me that Woosden story. And when I, when I, I heard it and I obviously heard a few other things kind of around it and it was basically and I said straight off the bat, because uh, it was another golf event, so there was people around there. And I just said, so clearly Europe won the Ryder Cup, uh, not because of him, despite him. And 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 that was the whole thing. So I mean, eventually, you know, so eventually it turns out that the US team probably was the worst team ever, and <laughs> anybody could have run that European Ryder Cup team and come away with the W. Mm. I think that's a good uh, nail in the coffin, if you will, to to finish that one off. <laughs> Sorry. The next one. Yeah, those are no good. fun. This is the heyday. No, they're great, though. And it's, it's fun. It's fun to see the other perspective of it and, and get to hear about it. So, uh, cool. you know, we welcome we welcome that. And uh, deservedly so. I mean, you guys held the cup for years and years on end um, until 2008. I don't have to talk a ton about this one because it's not you know, obviously Luke specific, but maybe just having you mentioned that wrist injury that, that took him out. And then obviously uh, all of Europe collapsed without Luke, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing Luke just after he'd had surgery and I didn't realize how actually bad it was. So he'd sent out an email. He had kind of an email group that he used to, you know, back in the day before big socials and everything, he used to kind of email everybody and say, Oh, don't worry. You know, I'm all fine. I'm, you know, whatever. But uh, I saw him and his wrist was like, there was just, he'd had, he goes, oh, I had this bit done. and But his, this wrist compared to his injury was like half the size, you know, it probably wasn't half the size, but I'm, you know, I'm probably embellishing it. But, um, but it was just a lot worse than I thought. And he was all right, this scaphoid, or I don't know. I, I'm not listening to all that. I'm just like, you know, when, when are we, when's the Donald army back? When are you back? And it was effectively the, it did affect him, you know, all the way through, obviously the whole, he missed the whole rest of the year and didn't play, excuse me, I, I'm drinking so much decent Czech beer now, it's beginning to repeal me. Um, <laughs> uh, Love it. <laughs> one of the benefits. Um, but then he didn't really start playing and then, but then one of the, so 20, 2009, I can't really remember anything he kind of had a little bit formed towards the end of the year, but um, what Luke, what Luke did, and again, you know, not not that, and I, I wasn't really seeing much on, and not that I should have done, but that was when he then met um, and hooked up with uh, kind of a coach, not necessarily a golf coach called Dave Aldred, and I don't know whether you've heard about him, but he was, he, yeah, he now works with 
sportsman through various uh, activities. He became famous using a rugby, Johnny Wilkinson, when England won the 06 Rugby World Cup. Anyway, he started working with Luke and, um, but he re he really tied into Luke's work ethic and about, and it was all about making, you know, and again, it's in, it's almost, I nearly stole a term from the cycling fiasco over the last few years over here in the UK, where it was all about like marginal gains, but it actually was where they wrote down, you know, it was this practice session and then they wrote everything down from that practice session and then they worked on the next and it was literally hour to hour, day to day. And all that minutiae and that work and everything. Luke loved that. He loved all that, you know, and it was just and he had really like, you know, this kind of like this purpose and this mindset. And and then kind of from 2010 onwards, obviously, you know, he just went absolutely from from strength to strength as we, you know, obviously as we lead into uh, the 2010 version of Celtic Manor. This short game has always pretty much been unmatched, especially a kind of iron play and wedge play. But like, I just remember like he was always highlighted on, you know, the like Kanaka Minolta Biz Hub swing vision <laughs> thing, the longest name in the That's world gonna... to just say we're going to slow this down. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like he was the swing. Tiger swing, Adam Scott swing, and Luke Donald swing just like dominated the world of like, here's what you want to emulate. And Luke's was a little bit different. Like Tiger's and Adam's were pretty similar. And Luke's was more compact and just about consistency rather than like power. So we thought up until the Masters from 2019 in post Tiger winning majors, it obviously had the injury from Torrey. He spent a lot of time out and, you know, he wasn't winning. He wasn't as big a factor after that. And you know, like you said, it was time for people like Luke and Scott and everybody else to shine. And, um, and, you know, and, he, and he obviously tried that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I've just dropped my, uh, my new beer. Sorry about that. That's my fault. Um, yeah. Um, it was, it was, it was great to see, but, um, I'll always remember around about that time, um, Christian texted me one day. Yeah, he was caddying for other people back then. But he just and it was yeah maybe slightly before. But he just said that you know uh, I think it was uh, Steve Flesh had played with Luke in a tournament. And Christian texted me on say the Monday and said, "Oh, uh, Steve Flesh has told all the guy or told Luke and anybody else that would care to listen that he's now called BMW." And and people and Christian's like, and I was like, "Why is he calling BMW?" And he just goes. Luke's the ultimate driving machine, and he just goes. He just doesn't miss a fairway, and it was just, and he, and he, and he was just playing that, you know, that game. He just took up to another level where he was just so, he was just killing people with consistency, and that's where he then came on to, you know, obviously Celtic Manor, the when he won the match play in the desert in twenty eleven, and 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 so on and so forth. So, yeah, yeah, I think this is this is a really interesting. Ryder Cup. This is the first time Tiger didn't qualify automatically. First time Sergio didn't flat out make the team. And he was he was going through his own you know things with his game a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I look back at that, and Sergio's just had that one two year period where he just fell off a map. But I guess everybody happens to everybody. But again, he was there as like I think they hired him like they did with Bubba in 2016, just as like a mm -hmm. cheerleader. The other thing I wanted to say was. 
this U.S. roster looks a little bit better. Um, yeah. There's, it's, there's a little more name cachet. It's not maybe, you know, I always think that the European, you know, kind of just reading down the names, it's a little more impressive. But I, I think that this is, this isn't the, uh, I don't even remember their names, Brett Wetterick and whoever else we had, you know, they're replaced by Matt Kuchar and Dustin Johnson, Steve Stricker, like guys that don't necessarily have a lot of Ryder Cup experience, but they're not random. And then your captain's picks are a little more exciting too. Seems like Stuart Sink always kind of gets picked, but uh, you mentioned Ricky earlier and Zach Johnson, Tiger, like that's, that's a formidable roster. I do have to mention here in in this Ryder Cup, the the name that like is an alarm bell in my head, and I think Mike already knows who this is. But Jeff Overton. <laughs> I was so glad. I was just going to interject with Jeff Overton because, yeah, Jeff Overton was an interesting story where he literally did nothing in his whole career. Did he actually ever win in? Why event? was he on this team? Yeah, I was just thinking that. Why is he? But he qualified for it ahead of Matt Kuchar, funny enough. But just yeah, looking back. Yeah. But Jeff Overton was maybe, again, if you look back at his his pick, he was a rookie. And now, like in these modern times, he just turned up and played his ass off. And he just didn't care. And he just, you know, it wasn't one of these where, oh, shit, I'm a rookie. I need to listen I, I, I know very little about Jeff Overton, but he seems to be one of those Same. kind of like zero fucks. <laughs> I don't blame you for not knowing. <laughs> he was like, I don't give a fuck who you are, you know. And funnily yeah. enough, he, him and Bubba smashed Luke and uh, Harrington on the, on the, mm-hmm. in the first game. But anyway, I'm digressing. Did you have a... Uh, I, no, I don't have much to say about Overton. And I think that speaks... Volumes. Um, <laughs> this is the first Ryder Cup. Um, I actually went to the 1989 Ryder Cup, so I'm really showing my age there. My father took me. My late father took me in 1989. That was fantastic. But I, the the next one was 2010, and so this was obviously yeah. Luke had got me a couple of tickets, so I you know picked a few friends, and we went, and it was just like. We're playing golf in South Wales on the 2nd of October. And as my son now finds out, uh, as he's at Cardiff University, what happens in South Wales for literally 10 months of the year, it just hammers down with rain, or literally all the time. And it was just, it was, and where was, I don't know whether you remember, what do you guys remember Celtic Manor at all? I don't know whether you remember the course or the topography of it. But they built it in a valley in Wales. You know, it was just like <laughs> like lake golf. It was ridiculous. It was like, um, but you know, the one thing that I'll say about um, uh, the Jeff Overton thing, that, and that, funnily enough, that's why I was hoping you were going to mention Jeff Overton. Is do you remember when he was it him who did it or no? Do you remember Bubba Watson holding like a wedge shot on one of the Fridays or the Saturday? I, well, it was all mixed. Do you remember that? That it kind of rings a bell. 
Yeah, so he, I, th- I can't remember whether it was the Friday or the Sunday. I don't know. It was probably like the Sunday, but maybe it was the Saturday. I don't know, because it was all fucked up because of the rain, because it just rained <laughs> the entire time. But Bubba Watson holed a wedge shot, um, and Overton went more ballistic than Bubba Watson. <laughs> and I was in the watching the Luke game over on another part of the course, probably a good, you know, 800,000 yards away and we could all hear Jeff Overton doing the <laughs> what? Boom baby and all that and you're just like oh, stumbling <laughs> to that effect it's like, who, who are clip. you? <laughs> I'm sure there was a clip and it was just uh, and whatever and you're just and you were just like oh well something's happened over there and it was just all, you know it was all that British reservedness oh you know look at those Americans getting all loud and whatever but it was just um, yeah and to be honest, I like that though, and I, I I thought it was great, and I I really he's one of the characters from that from that Ryder Cup that I really remember um, that really sticks out. But I can't, but I just can't. The, the stories of that we we so we went. It was just a crazy week. So we went. So me and my friend, uh, my mate Scotty, we went, and we went on the, and we were you know Ryder Cup. Oh my, you know, it's going to be a big thing. We stayed in like this bunk bedded shit French style motel on the Thursday night in Newport, just outside the course. Worst hotel ever, but it was the only thing we could get. And then we got up Friday morning and it's obviously smashing down the rain. And I came up with this great idea where I was just like, and it wasn't that cold. It was kind of like teens temperature. It was, it was not cold. It was not warm. I mean, of course, it was never going to be warm. So I said to Scott, I said, let's just go in the least amount of clothes possible because we're going to get soaking wet. <laughs> we, so I'm like, let's just go in shorts, t- like a rain jacket, or that we can just. And I'm, and I have no idea to this day why I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> so we end up. So we, and what they did because there's no parking um, at the court, they took everywhere to this massive like steelworks and emptied out where it was and we parked in this car park that was like the size of a small village and we had to walk for mile anyway so we're, we were already soaking wet despite having an umbrella and everything else by the time we got to the course and then the game started and then it and anyway so the the games eventually got called off after like two hours and whatever and it was just a nightmare me and scott just drenched absolutely to the bone and we went home and we, <laughs> we actually didn't even stay for the golf we got back to the car park, stripped down to our boxes, threw all the clothes away, or I threw my shoes away. I had a, luckily had a change of clothes because we were staying overnight. And we just drove back to, and it was about two hours away, two, maybe two and a half hours back to where we live now. Uh, and it was just horrendous. And then on the Saturday, I gave my tickets to two other people because I had a works thing. And that was actually wasn't too bad. Sunday, we then turned up again and it was pissing down and it was just whatever. But and then but then Sunday night. The worst thing about the Sunday night was and obviously Luke. So we turn up um, on the Sunday and Luke's uh, I don't know. Again, I don't know whether you remember, but Luke was playing with obviously there's no Sergio, like we've said. So he was playing with Westwood against Tiger and Stricker. The worst, you know, foursome pairing in US history on paper and. They restarted on the 10th 
and I've I've made a note because I have to remember the hole. It was um, and Stricker could barely get the ball on the tee. I remember that, and I was right next to him. We'd got there nice and early. Luke could sit on the green. Yeah, whatever. It was fine. Miles away. Westwood literally holes a fifty footer right across the green. Crowd goes nuts. They're like four up after ten. They pump them six and five, and it was just like, you know, unreal. Um, and yeah, it's just yeah, and it was just. I remember there was kind of like a, one of those big camera towers, and I was kind of hanging off like the cab driver who had the crane coming out the back of his thing, and it was just the crowds were insane and stuff. But even then, you kind of thought, you know, we're going to win. And it it was kind of like the reverse of Medina, where everybody thought, you know, it's just a Europe cakewalk and whatever. But uh, I'll try and keep it as short as possible. But so we went, um, so we went home that day, and obviously the singles were all going to be on the Monday. And I got home, and uh, Scott goes, "Oh, I've, um, I've," uh, and he texted me later, and he just goes, "Oh, phone my boss, I got the, I phone my boss, I got the day off," and I went, "Shit." I haven't even done. I'm supposed to be at work at like nine o'clock the next day. I done, and I'm like, how do I get hold of anybody on a Sunday? And I remember, and I couldn't, and I didn't I know the nut. Anyway, so I ended up my boss. I think was some, uh, you know, nice enough lady and stuff. I didn't have a number. She probably hated golf. I never. She never mentioned it. I ended up literally just kind of calling up that morning and just saying, I'm not coming in. I'm at the Ryder Cup. Put me on for a day's holiday. The bollocking I got later in that week was ridiculous. You know, just, oh, you can't suddenly. And I'm like, I've never done it. It's the Friday fucking cup. I had to go and see my boss in the end. It was like, who's a big, the big boss that was like, Dave, Dave my, uh, who used to play golf all the time in these travel golf days or whatever. And he was just like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, whatever. But yeah, I didn't even have the day before. Anyway, but the Monday was obviously, you know, we come back to the Hunter Mahan and, but. <laughs> Yeah, Europe just really got the. What was the atmosphere like there? Well, it was, you know, it was, but the thing is, it's like being, so do you guys know, uh, not that I've ever been, it's not really my bag, but like Glastonbury, it's like the whole kind of music event, you know, where people are there in mud and it was literally like being in a plant field apart from the course. So, uh, she's away again. Yeah, we've got, there's a picture somewhere where, Christian, uh, the Ryder Cup, unlike other events, and I didn't, I never know whether you know this, but all the all the wags and uh, hanger honours all walk down the course. So there's a there's a picture on us on the 18th on the, it was probably on the Monday of where I've literally got my second pair of golf shoes after throwing the other ones on the Friday. Like I've got mud literally halfway up, literally just below the knee, just because it's. And Christian's just got like a pair of golf shoes on, like he's just going for a walk. And we we took photos of each other's feet because he's whatever. And but the it was mental. And we managed to get and so Luke beat Furick that day. And again, that was just there was a lot of red going up on the board. But Luke, he just seemed to be playing. He was just playing Furick. It was like when you saw Luke play in those type of events. What always struck me was that it didn't matter whether he was playing Tiger or Furyk or anybody, or it was the Ryder Cup or whatever. He was, he was just playing his own game against that opponent. And it was just... And he, and he I think he only won one up in the end, maybe two, I, I, you know, something like that. But mm-hmm. he, um, he never looked like losing it. We'd obviously had the whole... Uh, playing behind him, we had the whole Poulter. 
I guarantee a point. Uh, Ian, I guarantee a point. Porter, he did. He smashed Kuchar, didn't he? So, um, <laughs> yeah, the location sucked. But Europe just about got over the line. But that was a lot closer. Montgomery was, yeah, mightily relieved, man. Because um, it was that whole thing, you know, with... Um, it's that whole thing with the US singles, you know, where the singles, there was always a comeback, like from 99, and they always seem to be playing better on their own, and maybe that links into that whole PGA Tour kind of loner aspect rather than the Europeans, I don't know. But, um, um, where was I? Yeah, just, you know, just about that, where there was just, even at the Belfry and stuff, it was always like, you know, the even the European commentators would always be on, like Peter Alice and the well, on Sundays, obviously, the Americans are stronger. They'll all be playing individually their own ball. And, and it, everybody kind of just bought into that over here. And it was it was always like, and it was almost like you expect it. And I'm like, well, why are we saying that? Then? Because then if it happens, we're like, yeah, well, you know, that, that metaphorical one down on the first tee. And it was just, and it always seemed a bit, it always seemed a bit crazy. And I, I don't think that happens so much now, but. It was always back then. It was just like, oh, the US will come back on the Sunday. And I'm like, well, why should they? They've been pumped for two days. Suddenly they're on their own and it's a whole different, you know, ball game stuff. The European side always has the the, the camaraderie and all of the togetherness yeah. and such better energy with the team. And <laughs> maybe it's just like the Americans have such a more individualistic view around golf, but hopefully we can kick that get a better mentality yeah. going forward yeah and I, yeah, it seems and like I, they, I, they kicked up this year and it seemed like they leaned yeah. into the whole team aspect more than yeah, more than absolutely. in the past yeah yeah absolutely i mean and then the last thing and again i i had to refresh my memory a little but um and it, one of the really interesting stories uh from 2010 that actually i think plays big into um, the calls for Luke to be captain in 23 in Italy is uh, I read a couple of articles because I knew there was something about, because obviously, um, again, in 20, you know, 2010, I don't, I'm sure you, hopefully you, you guys or you youngsters will remember, but um, Casey, Paul Casey was in the world's top 10 and didn't get a pick. And Justin Rose was not quite in the top 10, but also up there. And didn't get a pick because that was where they didn't pay enough European qualifying events, and you had to be a member of the European Tour, and they basically didn't get picked, um, which is outstanding in itself. And obviously, we may have you know won easily, but what I didn't, I couldn't remember the timeline, so I had to go back and check. But what I actually found really interesting is before the event, not after, which is even more. Um, outstanding of him to say but Luke came out and criticized the qualification system even though he'd got one of the wild cards which I thought was now looking back on that you know 12 years ago or whenever that was I think that's really interesting that he said I'm lucky enough to get in but Paul Casey and Justin Rose are equally um, uh, should be given a place as well as me um, or at least two of us out of three. And obviously, um, I think one of the other Molinari brother got in in the end. And also what they were saying, because back, you know, you, you've got like the world list and that Euro list, which is kind of mm -hmm. happening a bit. Well, there it was, uh, 
there was five spots on the Euro team and four on the world list, which then, even even then, was crazy because there was more people, more of the better players were playing in the world. That's why they were higher ranked. And they were saying that if those two were flipped, Luke would have qualified. Um, and his, so I'll tell you, I'll, you'll never get this. I, li- I, I love answering impossible quiz questions. So if, if they'd flipped the world and Euro list, I, obviously I had to look this up because I'd forgotten it. If they flipped the, the qualification list in 2010, and so Luke qualified on merit rather than getting a pick, which obviously would meant that Casey and Rose would get it, who would have missed out on the Euro list? Who qualified last on the Euro list that made the team? Hmm. And uh, I'll give you a clue. He also played in 2012 and played like a fucking drain in 2012 as well. Hmm. And he's that bad. You, you neither are you two can even remember him. That's the, is he a is he a household name? Not really. No. Hmm. Mm. Was it Peter Hansen? It was Peter Hansen. And that was the only non-household um, name on the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Peter Hansen. Peter Hansen. Man, so he got it over Luke just because of that format. Yeah, just because of that format. So, But, but what Luke was saying was, hmm. you know, I could have qualified on merit if you'd have done it. And then you could have picked. Hansen's not going to pick over Casey and Rose, is he? No, no way. No way, and and the, and the t- you know, and he was basically kind of having a making a really good point that this qualification system is okay, but we can always improve it, and yeah. you know, let's let's look at it, and and then from twenty twelve they did, and it was obviously you know rectified somewhat, and you know we went on from that point. I can see why they did it, but I but I, but now looking back when I was reading that story in the last week or so. Uh, when I knew I was going to come on and see you guys, I just thought that was quite interesting that he put his head above that parapet, qualified for the team, but yet still mm. kind of criticised the qualification system. And uh, I'd like to think that, you know, that's a good leadership trait and hopefully bodes well for next year. If, if he gets there. And I've got no inside knowledge whatsoever. Uh, I haven't got, I haven't bet my mortgage on it or anything. So uh, uh, we'll see. Although, be going cool. way back, I did. I didn't quite. It wasn't quite enough to pay for my airfare to Detroit to go, but I did have a nice tidy sum of loot to make it in the Ryder Cup team, and he got picked as a wild card. That was a. I think I got eight to one odds on him to make the team at the start of the year, and so that yeah, that was nice. That was sweet. That was nice. That. <laughs> there you I go. Think, and I think that was the year. Was that the year? Again, I'm getting my I'm getting my months mixed. I get my years mixed up. But I think that was the year that Luke had a really good run at the players, and then bizarrely got pipped at the end by Fred Funk of all people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had Luke a sixty-six to one to win that, and that was that was a slight, that was a little bit annoying. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So 2012, a lot of you know, there was a lot of things that kind of came together that year where. Um, obviously, you know, on you know, talking talking about Luke and his career, he'd had the stellar year in in twenty eleven. He'd pretty much carried it on into into twenty twelve, and um, 
he was actually world ranked number three by the time the Ryder Cup came around in 2012. But he'd obviously been, you know, number one. I think Rory had pipped him uh, by the time the Ryder Cup came around. But um, so because of that and the success, we were always going to go. And um, and obviously, I don't know whether you remember that Luke actually resided in Chicago at that point because obviously, you know, going back to his, his northwestern ties from time before. So. Um, so funnily enough, Steve, who I mentioned earlier that we used to play golf with, you know, I, I didn't see him as much as I used to, but um, he was very keen to go as well. And I was just like, you know, I didn't really want to go on my own. So he said, yeah, we'll both go. And then he said, oh, do you remember this guy we used to play football with or soccer with on a Monday night? And I was just like, yeah, vaguely. And he goes, oh, Kelly. Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah, Kelly, I remember him. And he goes, he lives in downtown Chicago. And I'm like, right, it's just all falling. So we didn't even have to pay for a hotel. So he just says, nice. I'll, get, I'll get hold of Kelly. And he goes, yeah, it's all set. You can stay. We can stay at his place free all week. All he wants is a ticket for the golf. And we're like, well, yeah, Luke's going to come through for that. It's not going to be an issue. So <laughs> we went over and, uh, and, I, and, and I'd been to Chicago once, but it was on like a work trip. So I didn't really get like the full flavor of it. But absolutely. Yeah. And a big... Like, you, you know, like me and Patrick and, and to you, Mike, as well, we were talking a bit about sports over there. It was a, you know, Chicago, what a sports city that was. And I've been a couple of times since, you know, Cubs. We went to, and we went to a White Sox game the night before because they were just at home. The Cubs were away and um, and it was just mental. And it was just and the whole but the whole Ryder Cup had really gripped the town and you could feel it. And um, it was just one of the best. I mean. I was lucky enough to go to the Masters, but that was, yeah, it was just an awesome, awesome week. I think we got there on the Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yes, yeah, cool. yeah, the golf. So, but the wet, but they did, um, but it was my first experience of the Amtrak system over in the US that was quite interesting, that I thought. Now, the, you don't really do trains in America, uh, I don't think, or maybe you do nowadays, I don't know, but. We took an Amtrak from wherever it was in Chicago to Medina on the on the first day, and yep. uh, and as we went for the three days, you began to see the same people. So just bang that because we met some amazing people on the train uh, and Americans who were, and, but all Chicago people, you know, there was none of that kind of like Southerners, you know, one their accent I difficult to understand, and two sometimes they can be a little bit. Uh, standoffish other ways and there was there was none of that new york kind of hardness it was chicago was just an amazing place and we had some of the nights out were fantastic but anyway we we, we turned up um friday morning and the weather oh my god it was like 72 degrees blue skies mm-hmm. the entire week it was sense especially after Kelwick manor the two years before it was ridiculous uh ridiculous weather and we just had uh yeah, the most fantastic week, and I I can go on and talk about it a little bit more. But... Were you guys rowdy fans? Oh yeah, very much so. I mean, there was a couple of other guys. I mean, Kelly was what what had transpired from this. So the Kelly I met before was like a nineteen year old, and he he hopefully I'll I'll have to message him, but he wasn't the world's greatest footballer, um, <laughs> and so I don't really remember him and. Uh, but he was a really good lad, and I I didn't really know him that well. But I but when we went over, he'd like transformed into this kind of like American bro. He'd got a job in um, 
Arkansas. For, mm. uh, he worked for a US <laughs> company in the UK. He'd gone over to Arkansas and then eventually moved up to Chicago. And he was one of the, and he's still a good friend to me now. And he's an absolutely amazing guy. You know, he got an American girlfriend, but he was like Mr. Chicago. He was like, oh yeah, we'll get swat, you know, and he's just like, we'll get White Sox tickets. I know somebody there. Oh yeah, and we'll do that to Medina. Then we'll go out. And he was just like, it was like, and I, me, who's normally arranging everything, travel for everybody else, didn't have to lift a finger. And he's just the the best host ever. And that really just added to the week. And um, yeah, and we had a few beers and he got another couple of guys that were coming to the, uh, the American guys that were coming to the Ryder Cup. They'd had tickets for ages. And so we, you know, it turned out there was at least half a dozen of us, maybe more at certain times. And we had an app, compared to the Celtic Manor where, Often a lot of driving home at the evening and, you know, you, you have a few beers, but you don't really, especially back then, it wasn't really drinking beer at a British golf event is kind of accepted. But you don't really shout and scream and whatever. And people still now when you hear the whole, what is it, um, mashed potatoes or whatever, that ridiculous, <laughs> you know, yeah. and all that bullshit, you know, even there's still people nowadays over Britain's girl well, that will never happen in the open or you know stuff anyway <laughs> it was just a, the best thing about the diner was you know and it fit into my personality where it was just absolute fucking free-for-all and it was just uh, it, and then the golf was just an added bonus onto that it was absolutely outrageous and the Chicago but the Chicago fans just really obviously they wanted the US to win but they what you felt the whole week was just their love of sport and contests. And, uh, and I really picked up on that and embraced it and, and loved it. Yeah, that was, um, I remember it being just so fiery with, that was a big Ian Poulter. Um, he was a captain's pick, I think. Yep. That year. And I remember that was like Bubba, did Bubba Watson win the masters around that time? Yeah, I think he did. Yep. Yep. Like he was really popular. Twenty twelve, yeah. We had like we had a we had a really good team. That was that was a really exciting Well it was the whole Keegan Mickelson and Bradley. Right. They were like chumming chumming together and Yeah. But yeah, I I remember just the it was just the whole anticipation of the event. And it was just and Tiger was, you know, he was fit again, he was healthy again. Um, and you know, I, I always get the years mixed up, but because Keegan had won the uh, he won the 2012 PGA, right? I think, he yeah, won. yeah, that sounds right. And then, uh, I'm trying to know who else won the majors that year, I can't even remember who won the masters, but um, but it was just it, it just felt more elevated, you know, it was just more of a and maybe that was me just being a little bit starry eyed, being a being a you know, watching a Ryder Cup abroad and taking it in as kind of like that you know the, the underdog the away team and but i just really felt that that was um yeah it was it was it was it was fantastic but the u.s team was stacked you know maybe not as much as it was last year but if you just you know look at the the team uh yeah duffner he was playing well bubba what yeah like you said he won Webb Simpson, I think, won a major around that time, too. And he was really I didn't realize. I think yep. Dustin Johnson got in the last pick. Yeah, 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 that's right. So it's just, you know, 
it just looks a lot more you know kind of steadier team but then you look but then you look at the european team and it was just kind of a you know, you've got some, you know, Poulter was obviously the wild card, but he's playing well. But then you've got Rory Rose is playing well. Um, he was going to win the US Open the next year. So he was obviously, you know, in good form. Graham McDowell, you know, was a major champion. Uh, Westwood Sergio. Um, so he was... Oh, Rory, yeah. Rory was number one in the world at that time. He was number one. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was obviously, you know... And then obviously, you know, you know just again, the, you know, the story of the week. So... I mean, me being on on the property, you know, obviously we we got there bright and early. There was, you know, planes in the sky writing out Sevy's name, and there was and from that Amtrak station, like your stations are never actual American. I never understood train stations in the US where they just seem to like not even have a platform. They just like the train just stops in the middle of nowhere and people get off. And I I was, <laughs> it was always a bit random. Anyway, we we got off this massive train and you know walked to the course. But it was everybody. It was just all building, and um, but yeah, that and yeah, just the first few days, Europe just played like an absolute drain. They were just completely wiped off the planet just by the whole, you know, US team just being on a crest of a wave from the support and everything else. I mean, and again, if you look at the if you look at the pairings. You know, obviously Mickelson and Bradley. You know, they. I think they were unbeaten. Stricker and Woods were of the opposite end of the spectrum, but just mm-hmm. yeah, it was just awesome. It was awesome to watch. Um, and yeah, I mean, Luke got him and Sergio got pumped. I mean, they got absolutely Mickelson and Bradley were just dropping them everywhere, and the views. And you just had to kind of just go with it because it was never, it was never really a contest. And they and Luke got beat the next morning. Uh, by them again. Uh, sorry, he was playing with Westwood that time because they split it up. Because by that time, a laugh about was just like we're getting smashed. So you know we need to do something about it. But um... yeah, so talk like so. It looks like the whole weekend, US is just dominating the first couple days, I guess. So like, what were you feeling going into Sunday singles? Well, and what was you your know, game plan for, for how you were gonna walk the course? Yeah, exactly. Well, well, the, the one of the good the, the story why why I keep mentioning the Amtrak thing was uh, so on the Saturday night, obviously. So just going to go through the Saturday. So obviously, you know, and everybody's spoken about it. It was ten four, and Luke and uh, so Luke Donald and Sergio were playing, and Garcia were playing Tiger and Strecker, who hadn't had the best of Strecker never, and again. He was a great captain last year, but again, he he always seemed to be one where the Ryder Cup was a little bit of a step too far for him. Maybe I'm that's just my opinion, and I'm talking about out of line, but he didn't seem that comfortable. Yeah. Um, I'd seen it a little bit in 2010, and but you know he was good pals with you know Strick and Tiger and all this, but he just never seemed that comfortable. And obviously, you know what happened with Kymer on the Sunday as well is you know written into folklore, but. They were Luke and Sergio. Were four, I think they were four up at the turn. But then Tiger just, you know, he he's not getting. He'd already been got beaten heavily the two years prior, and he and he kind of slowly got back into the game. He sixteen at Medina is like this long par four kind of you know dog leg right to the left around the corner, and if it's where you know if you're a big hitter, 
that comes into play. And um, I can't remember who was teeing off, but Luke and Sergio were way back. Tiger hit this, you know, towering iron on the green, made the putt, and they were one down. And, but 17T, I was just like, we need to get ahead, we need to get ahead. We were always, because at Ryder Cup, I don't know whether you've been, but the cut, the crowds are so big, you always need to be like, if they're on the fairway, you need to be on the green. If you're on the green, you kind of need to look at one part and then you need to be on the next tee. If you're follow, but what most people did was, you know, just follow a, just stay at one place. But I, I didn't want to do that. But we got onto seventeen <laughs> T, and I could, I was kind of, kind of half sore that, but luckily there was a big screen and Tiger hit this great shot. But I mean, yeah, that was one of the best shots I've ever seen. But even then, even then, when I, I saw him and I've, I've seen the video since, of course I have. Luke hit that shot like. It was, you know, just playing with his just playing with his mates. I'm sure he was absolutely that whole duck underwater, nervous as shit. But he, he never gave that impression because he just had that game face that he could, he just had all the way around. And he and hitting a you know a seven iron to a certain distance is just right up his street. Especially then when he was just absolute top of his game. And yeah, I mean that was the first time actually because people were going. It was one of those events, actually, where in America, in Britain, when you go to the Open or something like that, it goes, like, before a shot. Like, mm-hmm. you not hear anything. But <laughs> events like the Ryder Cup... There's a buzz, I'm sure. Yeah, you can kind of hear that, you know, there's that... Because there's some people there that probably don't give a shit about the golf and they're just having a good day out. But And, they, and there is in Britain. But, it, but there's always that kind of... You know, there's always that kind of thing in the background. And yeah, Luke just, um, yeah, unbelievable. How, how you could concentrate with that going on. Yeah, and there's that, just literally, I mean, there, was, there was, there must have been like a thousand people just around that tee box. There was not even a grandstand. I could barely see. I mean, there was like, um, Porter was talking about it when he was still on the tee. You know, Michael Jordan was following the games. We saw him a couple of times. George Bush was there. And there was like, people, you know, there was, you know, people everywhere just trying to get a. And Luke just gets up there and just hits, you know, just like a seven iron he would be, you know, all those years ago at, when I was playing golf with him. And it was just, and that was just so good to see that I had that, you know, just that I, one, I was there to witness it and two, that, you know, I could say, yeah, yeah, I know him. And Did you ever make eye contact with Luke out on the course? Well, no, I mean, literally that week, <laughs> I barely... I think Steve texted him a couple of times, but you, but you got... But you don't, want, never you don't want to distract him. No, never, 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 never. Right. In some tournaments, <laughs> Wentworth and whatever we did, but stuff like that, no way. You know, not even... I, I actually didn't look at him on... You know, because a lot of the time we would, you know, we would just be like shaking our heads, kind of like taking the mickey out of him if he hit bad shots or whatever. So we... No, none of that, but... Um, I remember Diane, his wife, was walking around with him and after, and then he kind of, you know, because we stayed, we went back and kind of watched golf on 16 and 11 and, and kind of how it worked out. But we didn't even go up to 18 because we couldn't even get near it because that whole 17 was a bottleneck over the bridge and we kind of, anyway, it was chaos. But anyway, won the match. But by the time we got up to 18, luckily, Poulter and uh, Rory were playing the last game. And so we saw their shots. And then um, there was kind of a bit of confusion about like the stewarding where, you know, sometimes in the last game where they'll let you come onto the fairway behind the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That happened on the Friday, but then on the Saturday, they seem to have stopped it. But then they, some people were just 
So some people kind of ran on, some people ran off, and then suddenly there's all these policemen around, and I'm like, I'm not getting involved. <laughs> nah. And anyway, I but eventually I managed got a good view, and you know to see that. I mean, we spoke about Porter earlier and about how divisive he can, but. <laughs> That was, I mean, ridiculous. And there was US fans there, you know, even kind of going, yeah, okay, this game's still on. What I noticed there that and people have said it in other Ryder Cups, the ones since like in Hazeltine and um, Whistling Straits, where mm. there's like blood and stuff said, especially at Hazeltine, I think that was quite toxic there and stuff. But at Chicago, mm. I, I never really, and a lot of when I came back, people said it. And I, I was there all three days and I, I mean, of course, there was cheering when there was a badge, but I never heard people like going into Rory's face or Luke's face or whatever, shouting and screaming and swearing. I never saw any of that. I just saw people having a great time and rooting for their rooting for the home team. But the Midwest hospitality, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I and I and I was unaware <laughs> of that, and I I'd never been to that part of the world, and um, I thought, I, yeah, I I literally saw no issue that week, and if there was, I I missed it. But Paul made that part. I had a great view of it, but then. What I remember was um, a lot of the US team filled, you know, uh, oh, sorry, the US fans filled away. But just to the, as you walk up 18, to the left of 18, because on the right was the clubhouse and where a lot of the other people were, like officials. Uh, but the European team came over and, um, you know, they, Sergio threw a shoe into the European fans and there was Justin Rose signing flags and legs and, whatever Paul didn't come over funny you know funny enough he was still doing interviews and loving himself but he deserved it um but I think yeah Rose and Garcia I definitely remember coming over and it was just and we felt like you know we were still in it and it was that and it sounds so cliched and people still say it but the European fans were all going mental they were just like oh yeah we're you know whatever and we all went home you know me and Steve and the rest of the boys that were supporting Europe uh, and Kelly, even though he was, you know, uh, living over there, he was, you know, definitely Team Europe. And we all went home and we all went out that night, had a massive, great you know, night out in Chicago. And it was and we were all like, oh, yeah, we're still in this. And, you know, let's go Sunday. So it was. But the story, the, 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 the one story that I have from and again, I'm, I think I'm talking too much. But anyway, the Saturday night, <laughs> we get the Amtrak, we get the Amtrak back to downtown or whatever. And we'd met these guys before and they were absolute top boys. They were all, you know, so great to see us. And we were having a few bit, and they were just basically like the American versions of we were just having a great time. And they were, and they were absolutely, t and we were chatting to them on the platform. And we got on the train and it was like this weird, you have these weird trains where they're like double decker and there was kind mm -hmm. of like seats above and then like seats. It was all a bit odd. Anyway, everybody's piling on. And this one guy that had phone service, suddenly gets the pet Sunday pairings and he then but I mean he was like you know he was one of the loudest people I've ever met but he <laughs> he he wasn't shy but he eventually got the whole carriage quiet while this his train's rattling along and he wrote and he and he uh rattled off the pairings to everybody on the whole on the whole train <laughs> but adding his own midwest humor to it and oh my god <laughs> I, we were in hysterics and I'm sure it was a lot funnier then than it, you know than it was now but he was you know he was just going oh it's quiet Donald's out in front of Big Pie and everybody's going mad and it was just 
And then, but the one thing I do remember is when he got down to, he got down to, and then he goes, and he goes, oh, in the 11th match, the game that nobody will remember, Martin Keimer against Steve Stricker. And he said, <laughs> and I still can see him on the train saying, and he goes, the game nobody will watch, nobody will give a fuck about, it'll all be over. And it's just, and he said, Stricker against Keimer. And I was just like, and we were all like laughing along. And then, and obviously, 24 hours later, we all know what happened. And it was, but it was yeah, just that's the, one of the most pivotal matches, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was just, you know, awesome and stuff. So, and then, you know, then the Sunday, um, I think it was, it was quite key actually. And, and funnily enough, in a funny way, if Rory had gone off, if Alatabal had picked Rory off first, we might have lost the Ryder Cup because of obviously, of, you know, the story of him missing his tea time. Uh, well, nearly missing his tea time because of because he's Irish and a bit stupid, and he got his time zones mixed up. Um, <laughs> maybe he was having too much FaceTime with uh, that tennis player he was dating at the time. But that's, <laughs> let's just leave the imagination to run right there. But um, <laughs> but yeah, but he um, but you know, Alathabel put Luke out first. You know, and I and I think that was. Um, you know, that was quite a big status. You know, Luke was well happy with that. I remember him telling me that after, and he was just like, um, and Barber had that whole, you know, uh, cheering on the first tee while he was hitting. Um, and he smoked him. I mean, Barber was just, it all be, yeah, I think on Luke birdied one on top of Bubba. So Bubba hold a massive putt on one. Teams are going mad. Uh, sorry, the fans are going mad. Luke just ro- just rolls it in straight on top of him. Uh, third. On the third, I'll always remember this. Bubba Watson, was it the third or the f- I don't know. It could have been the fourth, actually. It doesn't really matter. But um, Bubba Watson hit a tee shot that went over the fairway next to the fairway that he was trying to aim for and ended up in the toilet block on the other side. He was hitting it that far. And he was getting a drop out wherever. And Luke's literally got like a nine iron in the middle of the fairway. And he went two up within six, uh, two up, two, three up early. And then he missed, I don't know whether you remember, he missed a, like a four foot putt on, I think the 14th to win five and four. And and then tight, and then Bubba just, you know, obviously he was just playing for fun then. He, I think he birdied 15, chipped in on 16. But then Luke managed to, you know, wrap the wrap the game up on seventeen, and again it was never in doubt really. And it was just, and then by that by the time Luke had won, Paul Laurie won a few minutes after. Loads of blue on the board, early doors, get your big hitters out. And again, that was another mistake where it was uh, Davis Lovers' captain, wasn't it? Where yeah, he I can't even run. imagine. So Luke Donald, Ian Poulter, Rory Rose, and Paul Lowry all won their match. And, but, they, but there was no big yeah. U.S. players out, apart from maybe Bubba. You know, there was no, he kind of like filled it out, you know, kind of throughout. He didn't really put, he didn't really like top load the America. And, you know, and I think when, I think there was quotes in the press on the Monday where, you know, Alathabal and the boys saw the draw on the Saturday night and went, yeah, there's some good matchups there. And, um yeah, and it just kind of came down. So we we kind of positioned ourselves between I think sixteen and fourteen because you literally couldn't get anywhere. The crowd—that's the problem about we're watching the Ryder Cups. So it's great to be there, but 
but it's the worst event to watch because <laughs> you know it's four games that are going on at one point and then on Saturday Sunday it's a bit better but it was just you know absolutely shocking um and but then but gradually we just thought but then what I did notice was that the Chicago crowd they were they there was no frustration. There was no anger. There was no, oh shit, we might lose this. I didn't, I never got the thing. But the crowd, the noise, you know, that hush that I was talking about, everything just went like that as the <laughs> afternoon wore on. And it literally just went quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. And, and you just saw it and the momentum, you know, people always go on about that. And I, maybe it's a bit of a cliche, but it just literally just went quieter and quieter and quieter. And then I saw, and again, I couldn't get to 18. And then Kaima, I saw 17, Kaima through 17. When I think he made a good putt for a half. Yeah, for a half there. Um, and then I saw that and then I couldn't get anywhere near 18. And we watched it on the big screen. There's a big screen across the lake on the other side of the 17th. And we watched it on the bridge. And it was just like when the putt went in, you know, you could see all the Europeans. So you could hit, sorry, you could hear all the Europeans go, yeah. And you, you know, all the Americans were just deathly silent, but they were all fine again. They just, but then, you know, and we had our celebrations. You had a few beers. I was under that bridge when they were all doing the champagne over the bridge, the clubhouse. And it was fantastic. Hmm. And we, you know, I've got photos of me behind, you know, in front of the scoreboard, you know, with all the blue and everything, you know, those old classic scoreboards I love in Europe. Um, and it was just superb. But then the, the best thing about the whole day, we got back to that Amtrak station or <clears> whether it was a station. And who was there? All the guys that we'd met that night before that had done the pairings. And it was just like, and they were all, <laughs> and they were all obviously a little bit quieter and a little bit more subdued. And I, I'm going up to them. I'm like, hey, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> and they were, but they were fine. And they took it all brilliantly. And they were the best. But, and it was, and we all we were all like, oh, what's your name? Where are you from? Yeah, and, we, and they and they took it all fine. They were like, it's an amazing. They didn't care, and it was it was brilliant. And it just wrapped up a, a fantastic, fantastic week. Uh, we didn't even. I don't think we even did much that night. I think we went out for a quick takeaway meal and then just crashed because it was just so. Oh my god! You know, I, at that point. Yeah, yeah. My Facebook post was. I think I put something on Facebook. You know that my phone was going nuts as people were ringing me from. I spoke to my son on the, and it cost me a fortune. I'd, I'd woke it. He got out of bed. He was only 10 or whatever. I spoke to him. I'd spoken to a mate in Australia and all sorts. Yeah. But so we just literally got back to Kelly's place, had a bit of food and that was it. And flew home Monday, but unreal, unreal. God, that would, I can't even imagine. That would be so cool to be yeah. in your shoes in that position. <laughs> It's funny, and there was a, yeah. yeah, there was a point where, and I was just like, and so now even, I mean, obviously, I didn't know at that point that Luke would never qualify for another Ryder Cup as a player, um, but I was just like, it, that can't be bad. I mean, I can't, what's the, there's no point, what's the point of me chilling out any further of my hard-earned cat, you know? To, yeah, go out on top with that. Yeah, right. exactly. Just retire on the spot on that one, and I've, you know, I've never been the one since, but, um, yeah, it was epic, but it was it was it, Chicago made it, you know the the weather made it, the the company made it, Luke's play made it, the team's play made it, and it was just it was just everything just just fell into place, and it was just 
you know, people criticise the Ryder Cup being, you know, maybe kind of outgrowing itself and being a bit too much at times for some people to take. But um, that weekend had it all and it was um, it was awesome to be a part of it. Well told story. It's cool to have someone on the front lines. Absolutely. I mean, and the, and it was just a sh- I mean, the, the couple of things that I just um, was just going to say about, you know, kind of, you know, Luke's career after that was. And again, this is me personally, this is no, nobody. This is just my opinion, my opinion only, but he should have been on the 2014 team. Um, Paul McGinley, who. Um, Luke had backed for captain. I think if you remember the, um, was it McGinley or Darren? I think Darren Clark. I don't know. I think Darren Clark was going to be captain, which is between Clark and McGinley, and Clark got it two years later. Anyway, uh, you know, Luke had backed McGinley for the captaincy, and then McGinley didn't pick him, and he picked uh, mm. Stephen Gallagher, uh, who got again going back to the whole. Do you remember my two thousand and six? Harrington half a point out of five, Stephen Gallagher zero, and again, but <laughs> Europe because Europe won it, you know, fairly comfortably in twenty fourteen. It wasn't really picked up against, uh, and you know, and I thought Luke was very unlucky not to be on that team. He was no, he was he was certainly you know he was he was I think he was well ranked around in the fifties, maybe it's not I, I can't quite remember, but. Um, I think he was very unlucky not to be on that team, and um, and obviously if he was picked, he would have had five Ryder Cups and I, you know, five and zero in a Ryder Cup. I think, so, um, you know, a record of I don't even whether Faldo's got that in terms of win percentage, and maybe he wouldn't have been surpassed. So um, yeah, that was a shame. And then and then um, twenty sixteen, obviously, you know, you know his uh, his former maybe you know kind of dropped off a little bit but luke won the ncaa title uh Hazleton. Oh. So, mm. so and he won it comfortably probably over kuchar and a few others and stuff. so because of what he won he was uh there was a little a bit there was only it was only kind of like on the periphery and on the edges of oh maybe he would be a good pick plays on the us tour da, 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 da. but i don't think he was ever really going to make the team and to be fair Darren Clark, even though I think he was an absolutely hopeless captain and uh, because of kind of how self-centred and a bit selfish he is, but that's just my opinion. Uh, he did, to be fair to him, he did Thomas Piers, who was uh, fucking awesome that week, you know, a bit like Cole Sartz in, in 2012. So uh, anyway, but yeah, he was, there was, yeah, that was only a slight rumour. But then obviously, you know, 2018 vice-captain and, and he was um, last year as well and Maybe we've come full circle and we'll soon be talking about Luke Donald Ryder Cup captain in 2023, which would be um, fully deserved. Well, this has been great. And we'll, we'll kind of get you out here on this. In your mind, who is kind of the next Luke Donald for Europe? You know, under the radar, a bit overlooked, steady. That's a good question. That's a good question. I think um, thinking about it, I think the most, the similar player, to Luke Donald currently in, in the European ranks has sadly played on two Ryder Cups already and lost them both. And that is Matt Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think they've got very similar games, but, but maybe him playing in a couple of blowouts and he has, the, they're obviously both, um, 
in the US, which is unfortunate for him. Um, I think he's got the most, uh, you know, opportunity. I think he's got a, a game very similar uh, to Luke. He's maybe... Um, it's a good call. I would probably say that his long game is probably a little bit better than Luke, but maybe his short game isn't. Um, but his iron play is on par, and I would and I would say that he he's definitely somebody that somebody that can you know come through and certainly be a you know tour de force. And yeah, Matt Fitzpatrick. But there's a lot of other British players, but it's just it's just sustaining it now in in the game, and it's just so the quality at the moment is just mind-boggling out there are the just you know always used to be kind of the same protagonists kind of out there week in week out and now it's just like seemingly anybody can win it and um yeah we'll have to we'll we'll definitely have to wait and see there you have it that is the story and these are the Lynx stories was it 100 percent accurate yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at The Link Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at The Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. my ugly mug be gracing your twitter feed or at any point or hopefully not but i did i did do my own haircut this afternoon and had a shave for me, so, yeah. <laughs> I like, after you started drinking yeah yeah it, it's all good but no I, I look like chewbacca when i woke up this morning uh so yeah i've had a, I've had a, I've had a me day cleaning myself up so yeah all good just, I'm, I'm always conscious of just Groaning on a lot. I mean, my does it. I've got some. No, old, that's what this is all about. I've got some old, um, you know, kind of my oldest friends from my kind of like my soccer football team. They, over the years, even though some of them I've helped out with tickets to golf events, uh, they remorse, not so much nowadays, now again a bit older, but they remorselessly take the mick out of me for oh you're friends with luke and you go go on about him or, you know and it's like my mick with him or whatever so i'm always i'm always a little bit reluctant and i i i'm funny enough about a week i don't know week or 10 days ago i i whatsapp luke and i just said look i'm going to be on this podcast and your name's going to come up i'm just and he's like yeah whatever i mean he he just sent me a picture of somebody had done one of those ridiculous um like tracker twitter feeds you know like a oh, Luke like Donald tracker. tracker, yeah. Yeah, somebody had done a Luke Donald tracker, and he was laughing his head <laughs> off because they followed him, and, and he had like three followers, and it was just like, and and even the guy had done it for like the weekend of the Hawaiian Open, and even he had given up after like a couple of rounds. It was, <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I mean, Luke Donald tracker when he was maybe you know in top ten in the world about ten years ago would have been a good thing, but um, right, maybe not so much now. So uh, no, that was quite funny, but. Uh, Kind of a sidebar question, but what what do you think of Ian Poulter? Paul is a tricky one. Uh, my kind of my opinion of him is kind of like that. It's very <laughs> he's pretty flashy. Yeah, yeah it's, he he plays I, the uh, he plays the you know the European villain in the Ryder Cup matches really well. I mean, 
he he, he, he leans into that heel totally. Yeah, completely, and he and and a hundred percent, he plays up to it. Yeah, know, he um he you know he plays up to that stereotype very very well, but I don't think anybody else could. So I've got no um I think he you know there was just kind of like that you said it perfectly the kind of a pantomime villain he he plays that role perfectly but I don't yeah. think anybody else would but again I mean I've seen I've obviously you know I've seen him play a few times but I was there in 2012 and you know watched a bit of that you know we don't need to kind of everybody knows what happened that Saturday afternoon but um his game I've never seen anybody's you know if you watch him play, you know, I've seen him play at Wentworth and a few, whatever. Um, I think I saw him play in a WGC that was at the Grove just down the road near Watford. Whoever mentioned Watford before. Yeah. Um, when Tiger won by like a million, it was like probably 15 years ago. And Paul was all over the place. I mean, he looked very ordinary is a bit of a tough word, but yeah, I mean, he didn't look and but then suddenly in the Ryder Cup, he's just like unreal. Yeah. And you just need, and he's got that competitive fire that you need um so i think he's i think he's been an integral part but on the other times he's there's a lot of people over here that just don't are not really keen on you know and he's doing the whole thing in orlando and hamming it up and you know oh look at me and uh, and some of his political views some of his political views he, he he tries he tries to get involved in that a few times especially around um I mean, not Brexit, I can't really remember, but him and Westwood were yeah. trying to pick in about kind of like almost support our current government, which is obviously, you know, away from what it is right now. This is probably going back a couple of years. But yeah, their their views, what they thought from their millionaire mansions in Florida, which I've got no problem that they've got and they've worked hard for it, for them to try and make, they were trying to make an opinion like they were the ordinary Joe Public guy in, in the UK. And that was just <laughs> complete nonsense. And they and they quite rightly, me included, on the on the by the minute feed, just absolutely. I mean, if you if you just put in by the min golf, Poulter, you'll see. And I just absolutely waded in, and I, I it was just <laughs> dreadful. Yeah, Poulter, yeah, divisive. I would call him, but in the Ryder Cups, it's kind of like um, I would. The perfect analogy for me would be like when England play in a World Cup. Um, you know, I I won't say who my alliances are, but there's sometimes I, you know, teams and players, I will not, I hate them with a passion. But then, you know, as soon as they turn on the England shirt and the national shirt, then you've got to get behind mm-hmm. them, give them their full support. What do you two think about him? His, I mean... He's easy, to, he's easy to hate. Right. And yeah. his, his goofy outfits and like his, his... But it's easy to respect the Ryder Cup. Yeah, he right. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh I mean he he plays that villain well and he just he makes Americans hate him and he does a really good job of that. So you can't fault <laughs> the guy. Uh he's leaning into it and he's playing the part. So but it's kind of like the the know. Patrick Reed in American golf, like when you get him in the Ryder Cup or the President's Cup, like all that passion and all that fire, it's kind of fun to watch and root for, but Week to week, I don't. I don't really want to see Patrick Reed do well, really, because he's just just doesn't really leave a good taste yeah. in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. I, right. I, I think Reed and Poulter are, are very, um, and maybe Reed's kind of 
kind of cottoned on to the way Paul has built his career. I think maybe Reed's a better player. He's obviously won the Masters and stuff. Uh, but I think Reed maybe saw him kind of being the you know the perfect kind of bad guy. I I think he kind of played into that a bit and kind of almost went on Paul's coat coattails at times and maybe yeah. took a page out of his kind of book. But um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, well, Patrick, Patrick Reed in Europe. Yeah, he's. Wow, he's got, he's got, um, he has not got a lot of rep over here, but, um, no. that's for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, I mean, I do, I'm sure Pat, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, we I'm, were like seventh grade, I think. Yeah. What's seventh, what's, I don't know what seventh grade, seventh grade can mean anything to me. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy was just pounding balls at the range at that point. Getting ready for high school golf. <laughs> I don't regret. Man, Luke, he's he's got to be one of the best players that hasn't won a, a major. You know. Yeah. What, what's a what's a comp? What's a good comp for for Luke? Comparable player that hasn't won. A yeah. Major. Well, you'd probably go with Westwood. You know, because they've had very yeah. similar. They've had very. Was, yeah. was Westwood? Did he make it to number one in the world before? Yeah, yeah, he has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because funnily enough, in the, when he won, um, when Luke then had obviously the standout year, winning both money lists, which is actually I think gets underplayed somewhat. Winning, shit, he won both in America and the US in 2011. He, I think, he won the PGA at Wentworth in May, and he knocked Westwood out of the number one. So he beat Westwood, Westwood in the playoffs. another another one Westwood of Pat's the players, and took the number one spot. So, uh, but he didn't. Yeah, but he didn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Luke didn't win enough events in the US. I mean, you look back at his record. I mean, and I and I I look back at it this week for the first time in a long time, and the amount of second, you know, that the heritage he finished second there five times. I mean, it's a joke. Uh, you know, in one tournament. Um, and then there's, you know, there's a whole the amount of top tens he's had is just ridiculous. So, but I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure he'd look back and say, you know, maybe if you'd done things a little differently or, a, you know, a putter dropped or an up and down had gone his way or whatever, you know, uh, he could, he probably could have won double the amount of US events. You know, he, he should be looking at, you know, if I was going to try and sum up his career without the Ryder Cup uh, success, he should be looking at maybe 15, 20 tour wins and maybe a players or a major or something like that. I don't know whether, I don't know whether you guys, and I think his play warranted that, but maybe he just didn't have the right week or the, the right mentality or the, I don't know, but there was just, there was just that one final piece of the jigsaw that he, you know, unfortunately didn't overcome. I got a trivia, trivia question for you, Harvey. Um, what what do you think Luke's career money earnings are? Oh wow! Yeah, he, has, he hasn't spent enough of them on me. That's for sure. Um, no, that's a joke. Uh, he might cut me off forever um, for the freebies. Um, <laughs> I think it's in the is it in the thirties? It's in the thirties. Yeah, you're on the right track. About thirty-five. Thirty-six. Yeah, I, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, that's just an... And he hasn't obviously been that successful, say, last... What, five, six, five years? Five years, maybe? Five, yeah. six years? So when the purses have obviously grown even bigger. So, right. you know, like... Speaks to the consistency. Yeah, like, you know, the guys that... I think the... The guys that no laying up champion, or maybe somebody else, I can't remember. You know the whole tiger tax thing, and and Luke obviously did you know very well out of that. But at the same time, you know Luke benefited out of the tiger tax, but at the same time he went up against Tiger in his prime, and then and then Tiger had some time out, and then still came back and smashed everybody. All right, uh, you boys have good days and enjoy your evening beers. I've got one of my Czech beers left and it's just about to go down. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.